Hello. You know, there's an old saying that says uh, you can't see the wood for the trees. One of those things where something is so obvious you don't necessarily see it to start with, you don't recognise it. There's several instances over the years that I've come to appreciate that sentiment. When Elaine and myself first started to reshape our garden, we decided we'd alter the patio, make it a bit bigger. And while we were trying to design what we were doing, we went to a, a game fair and there was a furniture company selling a garden swing. All wooden construction on an A-frame, chains down, holding a bench, a wooden bench. Now Elaine liked that and said, oh I fancy one of those, will it fit on the patio? I said, well we'll, we'll take the measurements and we know where the company is, we know where they've got an outlet, we can work out how we're going to do it. So we measured it all up and we got back to see if we could fit it onto the patio. Now ideally we wanted it to go at right angles to the house following the area of the patio that went from the house down to the garage. The garage is set back about four or five yards from the line of the house. So I measured and I thought, well, it's not going to fit on there. The only way it'll go is the other way, in line with the back of the house. And it'll stick out beyond the house from where we want it on that bit of the patio. The patio at that time went about two yards beyond the width of the house. But going back towards the garage, there was a bit of an inlet in it where the dustbin was stored. Then there's a gate to take you out of the garden and onto the drive, and then another part of a fence panel and then you got to the garage. So I looked at it all and I thought, well, this, it can only go crossways on the patio, not lengthways, which is a shame. And so we started working out how we could do all these things. It took a while, remeasuring, reworking out how it had got to be done. There was a bit of an inspection cover in the way because the patio comes up several steps from the drive level and the path level from the drive. It's about a, a three, three foot six height above that path and the drive. There was a set of steps that took you up onto the patio and into the house. The drive is on a bit of a slope and from the front of the house to the back it drops down into that sort of three foot hole. Well, we carried on 
stripped off all the old slabs, started putting, refreshing the hard core because the old slabs had sunk and made a pattern into the top. So we started relaying a bit of hard core and getting it ready. And I stood there the one day and I thought, oh, it's a shame. It's a shame we can only put it that way on. Then I looked at it again. And all of a sudden the light bulb came on. We're trying to fit it onto what is existing. If we're redesigning the garden and we're doing everything we want to do, why don't we take the fence panel out next to the garage, put the gate there and then put the fence panel where the gate has come from, giving us another four foot of room to extend the patio. So we did that and I looked at it and underneath where the dustbins are stored was an inspection cover. So I took the top off that, built it up as though I was building a well to bring it up to the level of the existing patio. Then built a wall around where the dustbin had stood originally and built that up to the level of the patio. Filled it all in with hardcore, ready for slabs. I put a little bit of a fence up at the end of the border along the side of the house so that the dustbin went between the two fences between the patio and the new fence and the dustbin was down there and hidden and then we started to slab it all over plenty of room for the swing still getting and out of the garden gate off the drive and onto the path inside Rebuilt the steps in a different position off the patio down onto a lower terrace. And that was it. We'd worked out the first part of our garden landscaping. There was a lot more to do, I'll admit. We built a pebble pool at the top of the patio level. A bit of a garden border alongside the steps down to a cascade and a pond a big circle there's an area to put the table and chairs on to sit out and have something to eat if we wanted then another set of steps down to the lower garden and a path down under a rose arch and down to the shed that was the idea of the finished design but I'm not a designer and I'm not an architect, so each part of the plan we had to work out how we'd find the levels and how I'd fit the steps to get from level to level, how I'd fit in the cascade down to the pond, how the pond would fit in and then slope again down to the bottom path, put a little bit of decking down at the bottom, Forty Lane calls a Japanese garden with uh, pots of aces and bamboo on and so it went hence I couldn't see the wood for the trees the simplest way was to move the gate and then we could extend the patio we'd get the swing in and everything would be great 
It's happened earlier than that, when my children were little. Got a caravan and every year we used to go to the Royal Show. We'd find a, a little CL not too far away from the showground and pitch up for the duration of the show. Usually I think it was four nights we were there, five nights possibly. And it went well. We found a lovely little site and we went there for several years. Then one day this, the lady on that site had to close down. So we looked around and I found another site, another CL. Only about the same distance away from the showground, it was no real inconvenience, it was just somewhere different. But we arrived and it was a lovely farm. We pitched the caravan up and sorted everything out, had a bit to eat and drink. And then we decided we'd have a wander around, go through the farmyard and down onto the drive, have a look what was there. A lot of these working farms provided you're careful if they've got a van site, you can have a look round, see how they work, see what's there. Anyway, we took a stroll and I thought, what a lovely spot. Big sheds, big barns big buildings, full of cattle stalls, areas for tying cattle as well. And what I realised was a big milking parlour, and I mean a big one. And I walked round and I thought, how clean, how tidy, how well kept this place is. It's brilliant. I was really impressed. All the cattle stalls, all the areas for getting the cattle into a, a pen, into an area where they could all assemble, and then through and into the milking parlour. Excellent, loved it. But as I walked around I thought, something missing. It's very quiet, very quiet. And I couldn't put my finger on it. I, I, I strolled round and I thought, no, I, I can't, can't work out this. It's, it's too quiet and I, I don't know why. Anyway, the following day I bumped into the farmer and was chatting to him and saying what a fantastic place he'd got and saying how well kept it was and tidy it was. And he said, yeah. He says it was a shame we had to get rid of the herd. He said, we had a, a large herd of Jersey cows, brilliant milkers, great milk. He says, I'm actually a judge at the Royal Show, judging Jersey cattle. I'm a so-called expert on them. And with the blinding flash, it dawned on me. The place was so clean and quiet because all the cattle had gone. Here's me, grew up. With my grandparents on a farm and regular visits to a farm and it didn't dawn on me the night before that the reason it was so clean and quiet was there was no cattle there. Kerching, the penny dropped. As I say, there are times when something so obvious just doesn't come to mind.
you don't think of it. Talking of cattle, it puts me in mind of when my mum was still alive, we went over to Leicestershire to see an older couple who were still running a farm over there. My mother had known them for years. I think even back to wartime years she knew them. But he was a, for a farmer, he wasn't a big man. Fairly strong, but he wasn't a big chap. A bit like my granddad. Not big, but he was a farmer, you could tell. And he was telling the tale about various things. And after a bit, he says, come and look at my young bullock. Have a look at this young bull. Well, I went out into the yard with him. He says, I'll, I'll fetch it across. He says, you've got to go into the other stall for the night, so I'll bring him out so as you can see him. Well, the door opened and he came out with this very light-coloured Charolais bull. Not a big one, only came up to his lower chest. It wasn't a big one, it was a youngster. <laughs> God help him when it gets bigger because it dragged him across that farm. Came across the farmyard, he got this halter and a rope on it and he was chasing away, trying his best to stay on his feet as this bull went where he decided he was going. And I thought, yeah, you're going to struggle with that mate in years to come. I don't know how we got on with it, we, we lost touch with them because not long after that I lost my mum and we, we lost touch with them. But he was a he was one of the old eccentrics. He was out in a very quiet little place. The, the actual farmhouse was on the on the roadside, it wasn't across the fields like some of the, the farms as I've associated with over the years. And he got the, the farmhouse and the farmyard and then across this country lane was a barn, tin roof barn. And he was telling the tale one night about various things that had happened and I says, well, you're quiet here, you don't have much disturbance, do you? Oh, he says, uh, oh, he says, we, we do have problems. He said, uh, the fox hunt come through the other day. This has come bursting through onto one of my fields of wheat. I says, oh, I says, you're only a small place. Do you get people in to combine it and whatnot for you? Do you hire a combiner in? Oh, yeah, he says, but we have to look after the crops. He says, and the fox hounds come bursting through the edge. He says, so I stopped him. I says, how do you do that? He says, I loosed the shotgun off into the air, he says, frightening him back. I said, well, which hunt was it? And he told me. And I thought, you're taking a risk there, pal. I didn't say anything like, but the hunt he described belonged to the lord of the manor who was the landlord of the farm he was on. And I thought, you're on a sticky wicket there, pal. It seemed to have passed over all right anyway. They'd obviously sorted out their differences and gone their own way. It was still their farming anyway, so we must have got away with it. But he was a bit fond of that. I said, well, that's, that's, that's the countryside. You expect the, the hunt to be around. I says, all the different farmers I've met have had 
the hunt going across their ground at some time or other. I says it's not that bad, is it? Well, the damaged fences, I says, ah, but they have somebody following the hunt round afterwards, putting the fences back and repairing any damage, surely. Yeah, they do, he says, but... Mind you, he says, little other things happen, you know. He says, uh, I heard voices the other night. It were dark, we'd gone to bed. He says, I heard voices. I says, oh, my, yeah. I says, I looked out at bedroom window and uh, there was a car outside farmhouse on lane there. I says, yeah. I says, well, now it comes round here. I thought, I bet it was a young couple looking for somewhere to go and park up for a bit. Any road, he, uh, he carried on his story. I says, and they were, they were, they were, they were talking about something and trying to sort something out. So we opened open bedroom window and hung out. Says, "What are you doing?" He says, we, "We we 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 I think we broke down. We've got a bit of a problem." He says, "We'll go and break down somewhere else." I thought, "Well, that's a laugh. How are they going to get somewhere else?" And he wrote, uh, he carried on his story and he says, oh, this happened, and then they did this, and then they did that. I says, but they didn't go. He says, they kept talking and making a noise and shouting to each other about something. He says, I'd had enough. He says, so I let loose with a shotgun and rattled the pellets across tin roof at barn across road, he says. I says, now will you clear off? I stood there and I thought, how many shotguns have you got and do you keep them all over the place? Do you, do you have one in a holster on your back or something? You seem to always have one to hand. Uh, a real good old-fashioned farm bloke, you know, one of these get-off-my-land merchants. <laughs> Even if the land was a public road outside his house. As I say, a real old-fashioned sort. In a way, I miss him now. He, uh, he was entertainment. Similarly, I suppose, another friend of my mother's. I don't know how he came in to the scheme of things. I don't know how he was related to anybody, whether he was just a friend or whether he was a relative of my mum's. But I'd heard a talk about him many a time. Benjamin, his name was. Or well, she was called him Ben. And uh, he was a butler at a country house in Durham, County Durham. He always had, we always had letters from him and Christmas cards and that sort of thing. He kept in touch, but I'd never actually met him. And then when he retired as a butler, he came down to Matlock and lived in Matlock, so I had a chance to to go and meet him at last, and he wasn't really what I was expecting. When my mum kept saying he was a butler, I was expecting a tall, distinguished chap, very prim and proper. And when he opened the door to let us in, he was a short, stoutish fella, with a good old Yorkshire accent. I immediately loved the guy, he was brilliant. 
but he was a real person that had been in service during his life and the things he'd done. On the wall over the fireplace he got a tapestry as he'd done and it was a tapestry of the country house where he used to be a butler. He'd designed it and drawn it himself. My mum says, oh, I remember that. She says he used to go into a shop to buy the threads to sew it all up and he'd take them out into the street outside to get them into the proper light to make sure the colours he'd got were exactly what he wanted and not distorted by artificial light inside the shops. And then he started showing different trinkets and different things he'd had from his time there. He got a clock that he'd been given, lovely ormolu I think is the expression for it, all twisted metal, all done in a goldish design. Lovely, lovely mantel clock. Quite, quite liked it. Then he produced a, a silver matchbox holder. He says, this is what the lady of the house gave me for a certain birthday. He says, it's a lovely thing, he says. And she gave it me and says, it's, it's for you, this, this is a matchbox. And he says, it's lovely, but I don't smoke. <laughs> he told many a tale of that. He went out to a shoot with them. They travelled up country and were staying at another manor house somewhere. He went to the servants' quarters so that he was there ready to to help the lord and lady of the house he was serving. And he went and mucked in with all the others who were resident in the mansion up there. He says, I started talking and we were talking about the different people we serve and what we did. And I, he says, I stood there and I was talking to them and they were on about the habits of the people they served. And I says, oh yes, he says, my lord and master, he, uh, he drinks, I forget what he said now, but it was, he drinks so many bottles of wine a day. And this other butler looked at him and says, oh, you must be Benjamin. Their notoriety had gone before them. But he was a bit of a comedian, apparently. He, uh, one thing he could do, apparently, was mimic the lady of the house's voice. So one day, when they were all away, the, the servants were having a party. The Lord and Master and the Lady had gone somewhere and were staying overnight. Such was where they'd gone that he hadn't taken any servants with them. It must have been some form of holiday. But whilst it was all in full swing, apparently Benjamin did no more than nip upstairs, get one of her ladyship's dresses and put on and then go down and storm into the party, mimicking her voice and asking what they thought they were doing. Once they'd worked out what had happened and who it was in the frock, I think he had to sort of run for safety. But it went down a storm, apparently. But that's how he was. When the owner of the house became ill, 
and bedridden and was fading. He was still looking after things, running the household as butlers do. And eventually the old chap passed away. So it was up to Benjamin to go and tell her ladyship that he'd passed on. So he walked in very sheepishly and said, uh, I've some news, I'm afraid. I'm afraid the master has gone. He says she just looked up, looked at him and said, Gone where? <laughs> As they say nowadays, there was no answer to that. A couple of years ago, I was up in that area and I thought, while I'm here... I'm going to have a look at this hall. I know it's still there. Um, I, we were on a, a bus trip once and there was a, a bus driver who lived near there and I was talking to him and I said, is it still there, this hall? He says, oh yeah, it's still there. He did tell me what it was now. I don't think it's a private residence now, but it, it's still there. The building's still intact. It's still in use. So I thought, well, while I'm up there, I'll go and have a look. Unfortunately, it was set back up a private drive surrounded by trees. The only thing I could see of it was if I parked by a gateway further up the road and hung over the gate, I could just see the balustrading at the front of it and a few statues on the grounds. I couldn't get the full glory of the house, which was a shame because I'd seen this tapestry of it I would dearly love to have seen the actual building itself. When you hear these different tales, there are so many things that you think, yeah, I'd love to see that, I'd love to do that. I've heard so much about it, can I go and see it? I've seen glimpses of the inside of the building, because a few years later, there was a programme on the television. It's it's still around, you can still get hold of it on probably YouTube or something like that. I have seen it since, I've looked it up. But it told the tale of the Harvest Festival and how they held a harvest supper at this hall that Benjamin used to work at. And it showed the old lady still there, still at the head of the table, organising things. It's an old grainy black and white film now. But it showed what happened there. The Harvest Festival for some reason that year was late. And it was actually snowing at the time they were holding the Harvest Supper. And if she wanted any servants and wanted to attract attention she had an old hunting horn on the table in front of her. And used to blast out on that to get the attention of the servants. And as I watched it and saw different parts of the various rooms and different things that were unfolding with the servants and the staff, I could imagine Benjamin being there amongst it all and different things that he'd said about the lady of the house were plain for all to see. Yes, she was eccentric. Yes, 
She had her mannerisms. And dear old Benjamin could mimic them to a T. One thing I do remember about the visits as I made there was whenever I saw him he'd say I've just made so and so, I've just done some Eccles cakes, I've just done some buns, I've just done something else. And without being funny and mocking anybody else's efforts, those Eccles cakes he made, those buns, the other cakes and things that he dished up, homemade by himself, were lovely things. They were brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed every visit and thoroughly enjoyed the food. It's a shame I wasn't that bit more wiser than I was then. I'd have talked to him far more than I did. I'd got a lot of questions I could have asked, a lot of things I could have said to him. Got a bit of an insight into what was really going on up there, what people were really like. Because he'd met a lot of high-ranking people. As I grew older, I, I regretted not asking him different things. Oh well, I had the pleasure of meeting him and learning what I did learn from him. And I'm so pleased that happened. Wouldn't have missed it for the world. I'll have a think over the next few days and see what other reminiscences of those sort of people I can come up with. I had the opportunity to talk to what is now a totally lost era. I was just on the fringes of knowing what it was like. I can remember horses working the fields. I can remember original reaper binders, none of this combine harvesters and balers and all the rest of it. Reaper binders. I'll have a think. I'll go through some of the old photos I've got and refresh my memory of how our farm used to be and how it used to look. I'll have a chat about some of the older things. I've been told that some of my reminiscences from that sort of era become more interesting to people who've never had that experience, have never seen those things. So I'll dig a few things out and we'll, uh, I'll have a chat about them another time. Until then, stay safe, look after yourselves. Ta-da for now.